You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Talia Sicelli. Talia is a London-based registered dietitian who specializes in supporting those in eating disorder recovery. She's the founder of TC Nutrition, and she's been a supporter of the Recovery Collective since day one. She doesn't believe in restrictive diets and lives life by the mantra that change doesn't happen in your comfort zone. If you're struggling to figure out how to heal your relationship with food, I promise this episode is for you, because during this episode, Talia outlines the RAVES method, which is an evidence-informed eating disorder treatment framework that provides a step-by-step process to help you with developing a healthy relationship with food. I promise you're going to eat this episode up. Okay, sorry, pun intended. That was super corny. Anyway, enjoy. Hello, Talia. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks, Meg. Thank you so much for having me back on your show. Oh, it is such a joy to have you on here again. And I love any opportunity I can to work with you, connect with you. So it was only a matter of time before I invited you back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I know that many people listening has probably already heard the previous episode. You were, I think, episode three or four. Honestly, it was over two years ago since I recorded a podcast with you. So if anyone wants to hear Talia's story about how she became a dietitian, I highly recommend you listen to that episode first. But Talia, since we last spoke, what are the updates as far as your life and your dietitian practice? Like what's going on with you right now? (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot has changed since we did that first podcast recording. I remember you sitting in your bathroom, (laughs) still working out how to do this whole podcast thing. So yeah, I think that was sort of the middle of the pandemic. So the biggest change for me since then has been that I opened my own clinic. So I now run a virtual dietetic clinic and we specialize in eating disorders, disordered eating, gut health, and sports nutrition. So we're a team of six eating disorder specialist dietitians, each with different specialisms. And we work virtually so we can support people outside of the UK as well, which is really exciting. So that's been just a massive learning curve for me and so exciting that we're able to support so many extra people on their journey towards recovery. So that's a really exciting change. I think since we last spoke too, I developed Rule Breaker. So Rule Breaker came out after one of the lockdowns in the UK. So for anyone that's not aware of Rule Breaker, I definitely head to my website where you will have more 
information. It's currently on pause at the moment while I'm tweaking it and developing something different. However, Rule Breaker was an online program that I developed to help people in a supportive environment to overcome their food fears and food rules. So that's probably like the two biggest changes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. Both are major accomplishments. I have to say Rule Breaker is truly a genius idea. So everyone listening, you have to go check that out. If you have trouble with certain fear foods and rules that you need a dietitian to support you through breaking those rules and trying those foods and a community like connection as well. That is such a great program. So congratulations on that, Talia. And as far as building your own clinic, what does it feel like for you to think back two years ago and see all this growth? It's hard to believe, to be honest. I don't think I really give myself the space to reflect on it much like we all do. But yeah, I wouldn't have imagined that it would have grown so much in that short space of time. So yeah, I'm really excited. So I have so many ideas, so many big dreams. So it's just a matter of time before I can roll those out. That's amazing. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing all the things that you continue to do. Maybe we'll have you on the podcast for a third time, <laughs> another two years and love it. You know, we've both grown, but yeah, so great to hear those updates. And since then, actually the recovery collective wasn't even in existence when we last spoke. And since then I actually reached out to Talia, you know, late 2020 asking her to be a part of our community in the collective. And now Talia, you are the recovery collective, like in-house dietitian <laughs> who we work with monthly for nourish and learn sessions. So what has it been like to be a part of the community from your perspective? Yeah, I think it's been so incredible. Like honestly, Meg, what you've grown as part of the recovery collective is just so inspiring. So for those that aren't part of the, the collective, they might not know. So each month, I do join the community. So as Meg said, a nourish and learn session. So what we do is we I bring a recipe to the session. Some people will cook along with me. And then it's an opportunity for everyone to ask questions about recovery, about nutrition in a really safe and supportive environment. And I just really enjoy those sessions. I think that the community really does get a lot out of it because it is an opportunity to ask me anything. So yeah, I think it's such a fantastic initiative that you've got. And what's been really nice too is just to see how it is growing and how people are utilizing different sessions and really working towards full recovery as well. That's mm. fantastic. Yeah, it's really fun for me to see the different workshops we offer and sessions because we have our cook-along crew, right? Some people yeah. are showing up hardcore every month to cook along and that's their thing. And I love seeing how people will connect with different components of what we offer. Mm -hmm. And I also love seeing how things have transformed. Like when the community first started, the cook alongs were kind of these goofy moments where we're all just having these cooking faux pas and like mistakes and making fun of each other in a nice way, you know, it was more cooking focused and Mm recovery was part of it. And now it's really evolved to cooking, but the Q&A with making sure people come to the sessions, asking very important questions to them that will help their recovery. I love seeing that they're utilizing your expertise 
during that hour. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. It is always fun. <laughs> and it's always fun to test people's knowledge and the, the comparison internationally of different foods. And we have a really good time. Yeah. So fun. And then this month we're going to be baking chocolate banana bread. So that'll be a popular one. I think baking always tends to bring people to the sessions even more. Definitely. Yeah. Always fun. (laughs) Awesome. So if you guys want to check out the collective, we'll be launching the community again, mid September. So everyone check that out. Talia will be there monthly. So you don't want to miss out on that. (laughs) Come and see me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So Today, Talia and I have planned to talk about raves and people are probably like raves, like partying. Like, what are you talking about? Dancing? No, in the eating disorder recovery space, there's this really cool model for healing your relationship with food called raves. And I wanted to have Talia on here today to help us share about this. So Talia, can you explain to the listeners what exactly raves is? Yes. So RAVES is an evidence-informed framework that guides and supports people towards normal eating or intuitive eating again. So the approach was developed by a dietitian in Australia called Shane Jeffries. So full credit to Shane. It's an amazing framework that so many more dietitians and health professionals are becoming aware of. And we do use it a lot in eating disorder and disordered eating work. So RAVES stands, it's an acronym. So RAVES stands for regularity, adequacy, variety, eating socially, and spontaneity. So it's a three-phase framework. So we can delve into that a bit more, I think, to really help the audience understand what it's about. Amazing. So we're definitely going to dive into the entire acronym here today, but can you share a little bit about how RAVES can be supportive to someone's recovery from your perspective as a dietitian? Yeah. So in recovery, I think, you know, there's so much confusion about nutrition and food and it's a really difficult path to navigate back towards intuitive eating. So where raves comes in is that it gives someone that framework and stepwise approach, just break down the different steps that are required to return to normal eating. So it's really helpful to give, you know, structure to weekly goals or guidance in terms of, you know, over the next few months, this is what we'll be working on. And it gives us a really solid foundation as a starting point to help to, number one, you know, the very first step, which we'll go through in a second, is just so important in terms of nutritional rehabilitation. If people need to weight restore, if they're underweight or weight suppressed, it can help with blood glucose stabilization, appetite regulation, digestion as well, just establishing that first step in return to normal eating. So not only is it about the nutrition, but it's also impacting the body on a physiological side as we see, you know, we give the body time to heal and to get better nourished. Mm, Thank you for that. So let's just dive into it then. Let's talk about the R in RAVE. So R is regularity, 
What does that look like from your perspective? Again, if someone comes to you and they have trouble with regularity, what does that look like? And what kind of goals do you set for someone who's working on that? Yeah. So regularity is part of phase one. So phase one is regularity and adequacy. So regularity very simply means that you are establishing three meals and two to three snacks a day. So this is where that structure of eating comes back into place. It's going to help to support your appetite, blood glucose levels. It's going to support reduction of binge eating behaviors if that's something that's part of your eating disorder as well because you're nourishing the body throughout the day and regularly. So you're going to really help to support blood glucose control by doing that. With phase one, you can just focus on having your safe foods. You don't have to extend the boundaries or really challenge yourself beyond what is comfortable in phase one. It's really just about establishing that regularity of eating and adequacy, which we'll go into. Mm -hmm. I really love the raves model, just how it is a very natural progression of almost baby steps to Mm. getting to where someone needs to be all the way to spontaneous eating, right? Mm. This regularity is so fundamental and it's so important and it hits home that structure that people lose sometimes with their eating. So I think that's great to kind of point out that there is that growth and this is kind of that base to the growth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in terms of goals, you know, we're really just looking at where someone's starting place is. If they're eating once a day, the first step might be, okay, we're going to introduce another eating occasion and we build up on that. So, you know, going from maybe eating one meal a day late in the evening to six eating occasions, we wouldn't expect everyone to be able to achieve that. So when we're looking at establishing a normal pattern of eating and working towards normal eating behaviors, you know, obviously it really depends on medical stability and other factors, but it is important to try and meet someone where they're at and build goals based on that. Mm -hmm. I love that you also outline that, you know, if you are starting from eating very little every day, maybe once a day, it doesn't have to jump to six eating occasions right away. You can have a professional guide you through building up to that. And it might just be safe foods, which is such a relief for many people who are new to recovery to realize there's so much more to be done before you start challenging those fear foods and like really going out of your comfort zone with adding new variety in. Like there's a part before that, which looks like just eating enough and regularly. So that's- Yeah, because it can actually be unsafe if you change your diet too quickly or you add too much food into your diet too quickly. I won't delve into that much, but there is something that as a dietitian we look out for in health professionals called refeeding syndrome, which can occur if someone changes their diet quite quickly when they've gone from a period- of restriction to a period of nourishment when the body utilizes different nutrients, so potassium, magnesium, calcium, to actually help with digestion and breaking down foods that there's less for the body to use for everyday function. So if you are following a restrictive diet and you are at a place that you're going to start to change that and work towards regularity, 
really important to seek advice first from a registered nutritional professional and definitely speaking to your medical professional team as well. Mm, I'm so glad you brought that up. I think you also shared a little bit about that the first time you were on the show. And I can imagine there are so many individuals listening who didn't realize that there is a risk if you, you know, try to add too much too soon into your diet right away. And I know the all-in model is very glamorized in this space and it's not necessarily the safest option for those who are starting with very little food and nourishment to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So let's move on to A, adequacy. I know that's part of phase one as well, but what does that look like when people are moving forward in their journey? Yeah. So nutritional adequacy is really about supporting someone to be eating an amount of food that supports their nutritional goals. So this is going to look different for different people. It's really important. And I really want to highlight that there is not a single way of eating and recovery for everyone to follow. It needs to be individualized because we are all different human beings Mm. walking this earth. So you might Google online, you might find meal plan examples and things like that. It's really important to think about you as a person and individualize the approach that you're taking when it comes to finding an amount of food that suits your needs in recovery. So here, what would be tweaking is, you know, we're looking at nutritional balance. So ensuring people are getting a range of macronutrients, carbohydrates, fats, proteins, fiber, addressing any micronutrient concerns. So if someone has osteoporosis, for example, I'd be looking at, okay, are we getting enough calcium in the diet? If they're iron deficient or they have iron deficiency anemia, be looking at getting iron containing foods in there, assuring that they're getting enough. So adequacy, you're building up again. It doesn't have to be that you're introducing any unsafe foods yet. This can all happen within the realm of safe foods. But yeah, what we're then supporting is that step towards phase two. Mm, Okay, good. That's helpful to remember is that this is where you start looking into not just making sure you eat the proper amount, but also that there's that nutritional focus as well, making sure you have all the macronutrients involved. Yeah, okay, very good. How do you know, just side note, as a dietitian, when somebody is eating that adequate amount because it's different for everyone. So are there any signs you look for in your clients where you know, okay, it looks like they've reached the proper adequacy in their diet nutritionally and like just amount wise? Yeah, really good question. So a lot of people will ask me, you know, how many calories am I on? What calorie meal plan am I on? And I don't work with calories, which surprises a lot of people when they come to see me, you know, being a dietitian, but I use you, your experience, what's happening with your body to guide the meal plan or the amount of food that I'm recommending for someone. So I guess having worked in this space for a long time, you know, I do have an idea of the amount of food that an average adult human being needs in order to be well-nourished. So One of the starting points, I guess, is when we're looking at establishing those main meals, we're looking at building a balanced plate. And as with any 
sort of meal plan or amount of food recommendations, it always has to be a starting point. It's not a black and white amount. So what I use to guide that is a balanced plate model. Some people call it the third plate approach. So you've got third macronutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, and then your fibrous foods, your fruit and veg, and an added fat source. So that would be my base to build breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then you've got your snacks in between. So things that I'm looking out for to see if someone is receiving adequate amount of nutrition is if someone is weight suppressed, underweight, I'm looking at, is this providing them with enough energy? So then I would change and adjust the amount of food to support that. I would be looking at change in blood work. So seeing nutritional markers returning back to a normal level. I would look at changes in energy, changes in gastrointestinal function. I'd be looking at changes in energy or concentration. So it's not just based on weight, which a lot of people think. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the bigger picture. I'm looking at, am I ensuring that you're nourished, not just from a weight perspective, but from everything else I mentioned as well. Wow. I wish every dietitian on the planet approached it this way because I know there's so many doctors and dietitians, not necessarily ED specialized ones, but they focus so much on weight and they're not looking at the big picture to tell if someone's adequately nourished. So thank you for kind of running us through all of, you know, your thought process behind that. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So a, anything we you want to add to that before we go on to V? Or are we ready for some, some V? <laughs> hey, friends, I have a major announcement. If you're a regular listener of the show, you know that I am the founder of The Recovery Collective, which is the original online eating disorder recovery community for folks all over the world. Well, on September 20th, we will be opening membership doors again for the last time this year, welcoming an entire new group of beautiful humans who are on the path to healing their eating disorders. And guess what? You can be part of that group. When you join the community, you'll have access to live and pre-recorded workshops, group coaching, yoga classes, nourish and learn sessions, meditation and journaling sessions, peer support, and more. You'll also gain a community of friends and peers to connect with and encourage you along the way. So head on over to show notes now and sign up for the waiting list. Remember that doors open on September 20th. So sign up before doors close. Myself and 80 other members of this community can't wait to welcome you inside our little home on the internet. All right, so I'll catch you later. Now back to our planned content. I think I think the last thing with A is just to trust the process because your eating disorder self might have made you believe that the human body can survive off such a small amount of food. So when you start going through raves and you hit that A and you're building on adequacy, it potentially is going to be more food than what you've eaten before. It might be more food than what someone else is eating. And that's okay. It's really important to challenge that concept of I can only have X amount of food or X number of calories across the day. So that's just, yeah, the last thing I would say with A. 
Such a helpful reminder. I know that that's probably one of the most difficult parts in recovery, just based on the narrative experience I've seen from my clients is really trusting the process and trusting that your dietitian is being honest with how much you need. I know so many people like want to doubt that, but that's only going to hurt and maybe delay your recovery experience, right? Absolutely. And I do have to say to people, you know, it it would be unethical for me to be telling you anything other than what's going to make you well and what's going to help you to recover. I know that's easier said than to believe, but it really is true. Like we are here to support you. We're not going to side with the eating disorder. We're going to call it out. We're going to challenge you. Mm -hmm. I love that. So many eating disorders were just shut down because it's so helpful to hear the dietitian say that out loud, even though it might sound so basic, the ED sometimes likes to lie about your team, right? And it would be so unethical if you weren't doing what was absolutely best for your clients. So that makes a lot of sense. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Variety V, how does that look in recovery? Yeah. So we're moving on to phase two now. So variety is where we're challenging beliefs about good or bad foods. So we're challenging that black and white approach to nutrition. So if people have listened to me before, I like to say that nutrition is 1000 shades of gray. Yeah. It is a spectrum. There is so much when it comes to nutrition that is constantly changing what we need every day changes our preferences change over time so it is very gray so we're really challenging that concept of you know all calories are equal we're looking at practicing food neutrality we're introducing a wider range of foods so this is where i would look at you know exploring fear foods and food rules with people creating that fear food list starting to work through it And it also in, you know, within variety, we're looking at starting to introduce the concept of different foods that will then set people up for the next phase, which is returning to social eating. So we might incorporate some areas like, okay, so part of social eating might be that you have pasta out or pizza out. So let's practice it, having those things at home with people that you feel more comfortable with before moving into that environment. So we're really trying to break down as many food rules as we can in this mm-hmm. part of raves. Mm, that's a good time to sign up for the rule breaker challenge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. When you're at V, go to my website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I like that you're also setting someone up to prepare themselves for the E, which is that social eating setting. I know just like a little example of what you just brought up. One of my clients was planning on going to a trip to Italy. So challenging pizza was something that she had been working on. And I just loved seeing that ability to think ahead and just knowing like, okay, I have this vacation coming up to Italy. I want to be able to have pizza with my friends in Italy because that's the place I want to like really enjoy it. It's just fun to be a part of that process. Yeah, it really is. And to see people overcome the fears, it really is just incredible Mm -hmm. to support people through that. Mm -hmm. It is important to sort of point out that even though RAVES is very structured and there's those five components of it, it doesn't 
have to be so straightforward. Like you will start to automatically challenge some foods probably earlier on just from the process of eating regularly or adding some adequacy into your diet. So this is really a rough guide, but it doesn't necessarily have to be so let's do A, let's do B. There will be some crossover. Mm, Very helpful. I think that that's important to note because there's going to be a little bit of blurring between the lines and it's a natural progression. I think that's what Raves does a great job doing is just pointing out this is like a progressional path that you may choose to heal your relationship with food and get back to, you know, quote, eating normally. And that looks different for everyone, but it's a great structure to have. Cause I know so many people come to me like, how do I start? You know, (laughs) this is a nice little guide. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So variety, we have, you know, challenging those fear foods, breaking those rules. Did we miss anything there? Any more points you want to add for variety or? Yeah. It's also just about exploring new flavors and tastes because often what I find too is that eating disorders can be quite sneaky and over the years or months, You might have told yourself that you don't like certain foods or you've removed them from your diet out of fear so that you've created this belief that certain foods might make you have stomach issues or you just don't like them or whatever it may be. So V is really, you know, starting to explore that part of it as well. It's about relearning to enjoy new flavors, experience new flavors And also it's about learning that food doesn't always have to taste like the most incredible thing on the planet, that sometimes there will be food and meals that you eat that are pretty meh. And that's just part of normal eating. Hmm. Yes. I think sometimes individuals come to us putting their food experiences on a pedestal. Like everything has to be this amazing. If they're going to eat, it has to be the perfect experience or else they don't want it. And that's not real life, right? Real life is there's going to be a moment you order something at a restaurant and it's really disappointing. And, you know, it's up to you if you want to order something else or just eat it because, you know, you paid for it. And like, it's just like one of those parts of life where sometimes the food is just meh, but we're not going to have an emotional disruption because of it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So E, the E always, to be honest, sometimes I forget that they made the E eating socially because it's kind of redundant to put eating in this. All of this is about eating. (laughs) I know. I know. I think they got Shane Musk a little bit stuck on this one, but (laughs) we're fine with it though. Raves has a nice ring to it. He had to get a little creative there. Exactly. Yeah. So E is eating socially. So this is where you're establishing confidence again and eating out, eating in social situations. So social situations could be just eating with other people in the home. It doesn't necessarily have to be eating out at a restaurant or a cafe. It's reconnecting with friends and family. It's relearning to eat at a pace that might change based on conversation It might be learning to eat foods that other people cook for you. So it's really about supporting that social community and connection that we get through food as human beings. 
I always think that it is a really important step in the process too, because a lot of the foods that someone might eat socially, because there's less control over what someone's eating when it's in a social setting, it's learning to trust that these foods are not bad foods, that you're not going to gain weight or your body shape's not going to change by having a meal out at a restaurant. So it's learning to trust your body again. And it's also going to help later down the, in the raves approach when we're looking at intuitive eating. So learning that these foods are neutral is going to then help you to be an intuitive eater. Mm, okay. Okay. That's definitely a good reminder too, is that in order to eat socially, you really do need to start neutralizing these foods and recognizing that, you know, it's kind of important to be a social eater. And sometimes you can't be so rigid in those moments. Yeah, exactly. And there is a difference between being able to eat out or eat with others and truly order (laughs) what your healthy self wants versus yeah, it's fine, Talia. I ate out. I ordered, you know, grilled chicken and some steamed potatoes and steamed veg. I'm like, is that what you truly wanted in the moment? Or was that something that you chose because it was safe? So it's also practicing having foods that you truly want in the moment and that you haven't allowed yourself to have potentially for a long time. I think That's calling everyone out a little bit. (laughs) Love that because it's so true. I remember when I had my eating disorder and eating out, I would try to stick to the very safe options or like maybe just the salad section or the light section of the menu. And, you know, I would leave the restaurant feeling so bummed, like just bummed that I missed out on a good experience, a good social eating experience. And you know, if you're going to be at a restaurant that sells amazing Italian food, why not dive in and allow your healthy self to order that delicious pasta dish? And, you know, it does require a little bit of courage and bravery to keep challenging that part that's afraid, but it's so fun and satisfying when you start to go to restaurants and just pick what you want. It was really fun for me. It helped me a lot in recovery when I could feel that sense of like power and joy and like, oh, I ordered this thing that I actually really wanted. Mm, That's so nice. And one other thing that just popped into my mind is that it sort of is in connection to the variety, but eating socially as well, is that these two stages also when we're thinking about food rules. So for example, I might have a client that comes to me or I see it on their food diary that they've eaten pizza, for example, and it's a huge win. And they say, Talia, I'm no longer fearful of pizza. And then I ask the question, well, could you eat pizza for breakfast? And then there's a look of disbelief on someone's face. So overcoming food fears and food rules is not just about the food itself. It's about the context of when food might be in how it's eaten, where it's eaten. So there's mm. more to it than just eating a food. Yes, like time of day is a really good example of that. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many ways you can challenge your eating disorder in recovery. So yeah. Maybe. Okay, S, spontaneity. Spontaneity, yes. Another word for flexibility. So we're being flexible in terms of food, where we're eating, eating practices, 
So this is really the final step in terms of allowing someone to really connect with others. So instead of, yes, you might be able to eat socially, but if it's 3 p.m. and you're planning to have yogurt for afternoon snack and a colleague says, hey, do you want to go grab coffee and cake? That's what spontaneity is all about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's moving away from such a structured form of eating. And this is where you might start to, to shift away from such a structured meal plan if you're on one. You know, the other part of this is, starting to prep for intuitive eating in terms of starting to do some of the work in terms of your food preferences, your hunger and fullness before we move on to phase three. Mm, Okay. So would you say raves is a good ramp up to intuitive eating? Like eventually that's the, I know that's the answer, but like eventually intuitive eating is the goal. Yes. Intuitive. If you are In recovery, intuitive eating is the goal. So intuitive eating in itself is its own framework. But when we're looking at raves in particular, raves is the phase one and phase two, and then intuitive eating is phase three. Mm, Okay. Okay. I really do appreciate also how you outlined an example of spontaneity and flexibility, which is being okay with what happens in the moment. And I know when someone might have a very rigid eating disorder, that's terrifying. And individuals avoid certain social experiences because they haven't practiced that flexibility or spontaneity yet. Like I've had clients where it's their birthday and at work, their colleagues bring them a cake and they avoid eating the cake because they were not at that point of being able to be flexible and have that as a snack instead. And when you can get to that point of being flexible, it really makes life so much more fun and beautiful. And it's something really exciting to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And it means there's going to be less of your headspace being taken up by overthinking your food decisions. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. Do you have any tips for anyone who wants to practice their spontaneity? Any ways they can incorporate that into their life? Or is it really just kind of being open to what happens around you? Yeah. So I guess the steps leading up to it that might allow you to be more spontaneous. So for example, if we use the birthday cake example that you just gave, in the lead up to that, it would be practicing having cake as part of your normal intake so that when, if the opportunity arises, you can be like, okay, yes, cake is now a safe food. Mm. Join in and be spontaneous in the moment. So when it comes to spontaneity, I tend to tell my clients to become yes, yes, people just say yes. (laughs) Yeah. Cause hopefully by this stage you've learned or you've gathered the evidence in this social, you know, science experiment that no one food is going to make you gain or lose weight. You know, foods are neutral. So hopefully there's a bit more trust in your body and in yourself that you can be a bit more spontaneous and nothing bad will happen. Mm -hmm. You hear that everyone become a yes person. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Say yes. Have you seen that movie? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, Matt. Yeah. 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 Amazing. It's such yeah. a fun movie. Okay. So just become a yes person and that will help you a lot with your flexible eating and spontaneity. And of course that tip, I love that about you know, thinking what foods do you want to make safe in your life that seem to come up in those social situations. It's a really good way to practice and prepare for those moments that you want to be more flexible. Yeah. And a lot of overcoming the food rules, like again, you said time of day. So within the first, you know, RAVE, you might be challenging the concept of I can only eat lunch at 1 p.m. So that if it is 12, 24 and a colleague says, do you want to go grab lunch? That you've already practiced eating at a different time. So it all leads into the next step. As you said, it's a very natural progression. Mm -hmm. Really good example there. All right. Well, amazing. So grateful that we could share the entire raves model that you could help us with that today. I guess my question for you is most people who are using the raves model, they're on a meal plan at some point with their dietitian. What are any tips you have for those who are on a meal plan right now? Because that can be really hard to stick to at times. And that leads to people being a little stuck in my opinion. Yeah. 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 One of the, I guess, downfalls of a meal plan is that your eating disorder self can turn it almost into like you're following a black and white diet. Mm. So some people might develop almost a fear of moving away from the meal plan, but the meal plan has a purpose. You know, I use it all the time, not with everyone, but definitely with some people. And remembering that a meal plan is really just an example of a day of eating. It's an example of what your dietitian or what your team feels that this is an adequate amount of food for you at the time. Meal plans are not set in stone. So it's really important to try and not be so rigid on this is the meal plan and this is the amount of food that I'm going to eat for the rest of my life because Mm -hmm. that will change. So I guess in terms of tips, trust the process of the meal plan. Remind yourself that this is not a forever thing. It is short-term tool. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. It is a tool, a nutritional tool that helps to support your eating and ensuring that you're eating enough. Some, what I also find is that some people can, because there's so much fear about moving away from that meal plan is that it becomes like you're hugging the line of it being the minimum. So the meal plan is really a minimum amount of food. There is a time and place again, when it's safe to do so from a medical perspective that you can eat above that meal plan. And that's when people, when I see people start to do that naturally, because they're progressing through those stages. And I see people moving away from the meal plan. That's a huge indicator for me as a dietitian that they're, you know, moving into intuitive eating. Mm. Yeah. That's so fun. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I'm like, this is so exciting. Yeah. Obviously moving away in a healthy way rather than a restricted way. But yeah. Very, very amazing to hear that. So what are kind of the signs for you? So leaving the meal plan naturally in a healthy, positive way, like they're just not so dependent on it is a sign. Any other signs that the person might be ready to graduate into intuitive eating? Yeah. So we're looking at, you know, looking at that progression through raves. So I'm noticing more 
flexibility with someone's eating. They're challenged, you know, a lot of their food fears and food rules. They're able to eat with others. They're able to eat off the meal plan. I'm looking at if someone does need to restore their weight, are they at or close to a healthy weight for them? It's really important not to jump to intuitive eating. And I think a lot of people just want to get there so badly. And I understand it because that's the end goal. But you do have to go through the phases because you can't be an intuitive eater and you can't practice intuitive eating if you still are so stuck in a black and white mindset when it comes to nutrition. Because mm-hmm. intuitive eating is about really allowing yourself to explore so many aspects of nutrition and movement. And we need to get to that stage when our healthy self is stronger than our eating disorder self. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And I like to think of intuitive eating, like the PhD of eating. And if you think about that, you have to go through preschool, elementary school, middle school, all the schools, all the levels before you get to that PhD. So you know, if you're struggling, it's like kind of going from working towards that, I don't know, high school education and then jumping to a PhD. It's not realistic. You know, yeah. so going through that progression and building up the skills over time is so important. And intuitive yeah. eating, I mean, I hate to say this, but once you're strong enough, it comes intuitively. <laughs> yeah. Right? You were born an intuitive eater. So it is in you. You just have to find it. That's a beautiful way to put it. I like that a lot, Talia. So anyway, I really appreciate you being on this episode with me today, Talia. It's been such a pleasure and you're just a wealth of knowledge and support for everyone in this field. So thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me back. Oh, well, (laughs) it was a joy and I'm very grateful to have you be a part of the Recovery Collective. I know the the folks in the community just really love getting to see you every month and mm-hmm. it's, it's just a joy. So I will see you at our next cook along. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, have a beautiful day. Thank you again. Thank you. All right. Bye. <laughs>